Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. It's a light for our path. It is food for our soul. May it be so for us this morning. Amen. Um, when I go walking with my dog... It's a fun experience. Um, I sort of know where he is most of the time. He sort of knows where I am most of the time. And he runs around and occasionally he gives this look back. Uh, that sort of dopey dog expression. Uh, which sort of is to ask, um, am I okay? Where are we going? Am I going in the right direction? And um, uh, yeah. And as we do that, um, sorry, hang on. Okay, let me start again. And so uh, my dog does this glancing back just to check where we're going and what's happening. And, uh, and so what we're doing in the last couple of weeks is we're, we're um, taking a dog-like glance at who Jesus is to say, Lord, where am I going? Am I okay? Am I okay? Is the way I'm walking um, attentive to who you are? And so there's this, uh, what we have been looking at is the posture of what Jesus takes. Last week, Claire spoke to us about the posture of humility. And this week, what we're going to do look at is the posture of authenticity. Um, we're going to be looking at how Jesus is profoundly and utterly and always unashamedly authentic. If there's one thing you can say about Jesus, he does not trade in facades he is always his true self. And as soon as we realise that, of course, the dog glance in us makes us very self-reflective. If Jesus is always his true self, then what's that say about me? Am I always my true self? And, and that can be quite a confronting thing to do because the opposite of authentic, the opposite of being our true self is to be hypocritical or double-minded 
When we are not our true self, we can say that someone lacks integrity. And we don't mean that in terms of lacking moral integrity. I mean that in terms of more like architectural structure. If a beam holding up this roof splits, it lacks integrity because it's no longer one beam. It's, it's, sort of, it's got a fracture. And so you have a disintegration. And so when we look at this question of what does it mean to be authentic in Christ, it's confronting. And Jesus raises a question in our reading for today where he raised this question of authenticity and particularly around, this, uh, the, uh, around the notion of our spirituality. How, how well are we authentic in our spirituality, including and especially in our prayer life? And so what he does is he describes a religious hypocrite, someone who wears their spirituality out there for show. They kind of uh, put it, uh, they, they love to pray standing in the synagogue, they say. They like to stand on the streets' corners and be seen by others. In every external sense, these people are being spiritual. They are praying, and they are seen to be praying. They are using the right words. They are not doing it wrong. And it's not obviously a bad thing. These people are praying, and they're being virtuous. You have to look virtuous when you are virtue signaling, right? And so what they are doing is something good. And in fact, people would be listening to them. These are not the sort of people where people are standing around them going, what a poser, right? These are the people that people are standing around going, hmm, how inspirational, or at least how thought-provoking. I mean, in Jesus' era, this was not the day in which you could mass-produce your latest Christian self-help book and become a well-known brand. But this was the day where you could stand on the street corner and pray. You go and listen to them. So these are celebrities, They're one, or at least wannabe celebrities. They are getting seen by others. And in fact, if we want to feel the provocation of Jesus' teaching here, we need to feel it, because Jesus isn't... Now, when we think about that, we, we can easily pick someone who we would hold up as a celebrity that we'd like to deride. You know, we could talk about this. Jesus says, don't pray like the Kardashians or something, you know. And we go, oh, yes, yes, chortle, chortle, chortle. But okay, no, no, let it hit you. Who in your life right now would you hold up as an example of the virtue that you want to adhere to? Someone that you go, ah, I see them and I see what they espouse in front of me and others and it would kill me if I found out that what they were like behind that facade is not the same as they were on front. Right? That's what it's meant to be. That little poke. And, and of course, it's also meant to hit us a little bit. It's meant just to make us consider the inclinations of our own hearts. One of the things I've learned over a couple of decades in ministry is that at one level, being a good Christian, certainly to the extent that others can see it, is actually quite an easy thing to do. Don't you hear me carefully here. <laughs> there are ways in which we can receive our reward of recognition and praise in the church world. There are pathways, formula almost, by which we can join in, contribute, 
make something a success and be known as a valued member of our church community. Yet inside, we remain churning, broken, angry, disintegrated. And now, please be careful, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, uh, I'm pl- uh, please still keep participating in things and doing stuff in church life. You can do that well and joyfully as part of our fellowship, but also heed the danger about being performance-driven, performance-driven in a religious setting or any other reality. As soon as we're chasing the external rewards rather than the deep, life-flowing and often difficult and painful creative currents of God's call, we run the risk of losing something. We run the risk of losing ourselves, of being inauthentic. So Jesus is pushing at that. Don't be like the ones who pray on the street corners or in the synagogues for its own reward. Who are you rather, he says, in the secret place? How do you pray? Or do you pray at all when no one except God is looking? Our Heavenly Father doesn't want us, our performance, and certainly not for its own sake, He wants us, the real, authentic us, the honest us, no matter what it looks like in the secret place. And he wants us especially when the external performance isn't doing well. When we are failing in the eyes of the world, it's in the secret place that everything counts. He wants us especially when we want to hide away from him and not go into that secret place and to cover ourselves up with the religious words. He wants our regrets and hurts and sins and weariness. The secret place, when it's just us and God, is where where the depths of who we are is revealed and where we can truly be ourselves with God or not. And that's the question that Jesus is raising. Will you be authentic with him? External performance has its reward. But authenticity with God in the secret place has a deeper reward. The external reward is transactional. You've seen me do this. I've performed well for you. Now I will receive your accolades. But the rewards in the secret place are not transactional. They're relational. It's the reward of closeness, of guidance, of intimacy with our maker. We can't perform our way to peace. But we can find it when the Lord embraces our authentic self, even and especially when we are authentically a mess. In the secret place, that's where we find inexplicable peace. That's where we find Freedom that we thought could never happen, where reconciliations and restorations have their roots, where deep lessons are learned and there are steps into maturity that are grounded in weakness and not in strength. One of the examples from my life, and it's one of my defining stories, is when I was in my first year of Bible college. And I was wrestling in my early 20s with the things that we often wrestle with in our early 20s, which is the wounds of our childhood and all the other things that have scraped and bumped us as we've grown up. 
And I was <laughs> disintegrated. On the one hand, I'd learned to play the performance game, to be academically successful, and I presented enough of a face that they'd accepted me for ordination. Right? And I could been, my ego had been stroked by people who had seen me. Yet inside, I was broken. I was two different people. My wife can bear testimony to that. Because I was living like the broken, hurting child that I had not resolved. Yet in the secret place that I was slowly able to enter, largely because of the wisdom and kindness and love of my wife, I found myself able to be able to expose that pain to the Lord, to be real with him. And, I, and what that sounded and looked like was curling up on my bed and howling. But before the Lord, those howls of pain were received in a place of solace, inexplicable solace, and embrace and care and healing. Truth about his love for me, his acceptance of me, no matter what. And that's a wonderful story. The thing I really remember is that the next day after I'd had this moment of encountering God where no one else could see me, as I remember waking up and saying to Jill, I feel weird. I don't know this feeling. I think it's called confidence. Because it wasn't a confidence grounded in pulling myself up by the bootstraps and doing well. It was just, it just was. Because God had seen me and loved me. And I, for the first time in ever, really, could live in the truth of the embrace from God, which had all happened in the secret place. So this is the stuff that Jesus is getting to when he speaks about our authenticity. He isn't making a complex point. He's making a deep one. And uh, as this reading goes on, he goes on to, to talk about it and illustrate it with comparison of two types of prayer. The first is the type of prayer which, he says, has many words, a babbling like the pagans. This is the prayer where we're using words. They're not bad words. They could be Christian words like, Lord, I just, just, just like Lord. You know what I mean? And, uh, and they could look very, some people get it, and they, some, and, uh, and they could be good words, but they're actually being used to cover and to hide, and almost like a talisman. If I, if I say enough, Lord, you might listen to me. It's, it's a completely a denial of God's character, but, but that's that way of praying, babbling words for their own sake. I'm not against repetitive prayers, by the way, but it's the posture of holding God at arm's length with these words. That's what he's talking about. And in contrast with the babbling, Jesus introduces us to another prayer, a prayer which we know very well, and we are going to pray it ourselves in just a little while. He begins by saying this, here's the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer sheds a light on our authentic self. When we pray, our Father, hallowed be your name. When we express the intent, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we are declaring and putting voice to is what is our foundation in life? What is our primary 
purpose? What is the deepest thing we value and desire? The words of this prayer say that that thing is God. We desire his name to be hallowed. We desire his kingdom to come. We desire his will to be done. It's a bottom line, fundamental, foundational sort of thing. And of course we could say these words cheaply, but in the posture of faith, these words align our authentic self because they speak to and express and redirect our yearning. Jesus is aware that it is our desires that are often the place where we are most disintegrated. Jesus names it up in other places. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. You'll split, right? You'll break. You'll love one and hate the other. In other times, he names up those who idolize family or safety or comfort. He talks about those who put the hand to the plow and then look back. Can you, can you feel the rip, right? He's interested in our authenticity. And it's the same for us in families and communities. Churches can often pull in different directions or go in orbit around something other than God. So in these words of this prayer, these are intentional words that expose our true selves. What do we think about? What do we think we are asking when we pray, your kingdom come? How does that stir your imagination? Do we wish for him to lead us how he wants us to, to first and foremost hallow his name in our midst? His foundation, his root, becomes the unity around which our authenticity is built where we can be whole in him. When Jill and I were church planting a decade or two ago, we wrestled with this question in our community at the time. We wanted the church plant to work. We wanted to perform. We wanted it to be seen. We wanted it to be successful. And so we looked at all the church planting techniques and church growth strategies, and there are many books to read, because we wanted to be relevant in our mission. And we concluded that none of it would work if we didn't start with him. And so we resolved collectively as a community. We said to ourselves, it's okay if people encounter us and think we're weird. That's okay as long as they realize we're authentic. Our belief may be strange as long as we actually truly believe it, it's okay. And that resolve turned into prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and begin in us. And sometimes we prayed that prayer through gritted teeth and disappointments and frustrations and pain. But it was an alignment prayer of who we truly and authentically are. Jesus goes on. He says and he tells us to pray, give us today our daily bread. This is where it gets real. This is not abstract. I know when I am at my least authentic. And when on the outside, I can stand up here even and talk about faith in God, yet on the inside, I'm anxious. And I tell you, it comes down to the most crass of things. It's when I'm worried about money and provision and health and the cost of living and whether my kids are going to be okay, right? So give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer that brings me into alignment. As someone who suffered from anxiety, can, can I tell you the one grace I've been able to find in it? 
For me, when I have anxiety attacks, I, I focus on a problem and it consumes me. But the grace is this. If I can bring that focus into alignment with who I truly am as God's child, then I have been able to bring the entirety of myself. If I've been consumed in that thing, then if I can bring that under God, then I've brought my whole self. Give us today our daily bread. For me is the prayer that does that. I trust you with my needs and the needs of those I love. Jesus goes on and teaches us, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you ever replay in your head your biggest regrets or the worst pains that have been done to you? Do you ever feel the fracture inside yourselves as you scenario through the woulda, coulda, shouldas? Yeah? When, uh, you know, everything at home is quite peaceful and you're sitting there and, and you say, darling, how's it going? And she, and she goes, nah, 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 because she isn't thinking about you. She's thinking about something else that happened. I'm not picking on you, darling. I do it too. Right? Right? But you're fractured, you see. <laughs> Who you are is different to what reality is around you. Here is a prayer that brings us in alignment. It's not forgive and forget, but it is trust and don't be consumed. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who debted against us. We give that to you, Lord. Jesus teaches us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you ever live in the fears of what might be? Do you live in the fears of your own failings or the looming darkness or the faceless powers that control our lives? Well, this prayer brings that into alignment. Lord, meet me in my time of trial. Guide me so that I do not fall. Just because things are hard doesn't mean you have abandoned me. So deliver me from the things that would harm me. These are not abstract each step of the prayer isn't a babble of words, but an intentional, deliberate posture for alignment, of being real with the God who loves us, of being real with the God who is real. So there you go. We can uh, look at Jesus' teaching and, like my dog, walking alongside him, go, am I okay? Am I heading in the right direction? Am I doing and being what you need me to be? It's a good way to enter Lent. Of course, we could perform Lent. We could give up Netflix and so, and, and for Lent and put that fact on social media and have a whole bunch of people going, emojis. Right. Or we could use this time that's coming up as, a, as an excuse almost, if we need it, to be real, to seek alignment. It's why Ash Wednesday begins with this reminder. People have joked, what are you doing on Valentine's Day this year, Will? I'm daubing people at Ash and telling them they're going to die. <laughs> right? Because it begins with that reality, an authentic reality that we are mortal. And from that place, we bring ourselves into alignment with God. And of course, as a church, we're on this season, we're... In the process of getting our focal ministers almost officially uh, um, uh, appointed, and we'll be doing the same thing as a community. How do we authentically embrace who we are? What do we care about? Do we stand on our front doorstep and look at the people in the streets and go, oh, Lord, your kingdom come. What does that mean? How do we align our true self with him and not just have a 
performance church. These are the things that we wrestle with. Whatever we do, our first intention is not to succeed merely in the sight of our others or our own egos, but to be first and foremost truly and authentically his. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are his. Forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to um, move into the rest of our time together. It's going to culminate with us sharing bread and wine. And uh, I wonder if we can use this. We, I know last week there was this sense of movement. We responded to who God is. Well, as we come and eat and drink, we, we, this is actually a very intimate thing. We receive these symbols of who Christ is into our very physical selves. Let's come honestly, authentically, offering ourselves. As we do that, let's reflect a bit. We're going to pr- play a song then I'm going to offer us a prayer, offer it to, I'm going to lead us, well, Nick's going to lead us in a time of confession uh, before we pray to God and then come to this table. So let's play this song. Use this as a time to just say, okay, Lord, where do you want to speak to me really in the secret place? What's on your agenda?